Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. You are listening to the sixth of our Epiphany series, The Practices of Jesus, Praying, by Rev. Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading uh, this morning is from the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, that's found on page 1600 in your pew Bibles. And we're continuing our series for Epiphany on the practices of Jesus, the practices of Jesus. It's our contention, and, and it's not just our contention, it's many people's contention, that we are formed by our practices, by our habits, the things we do every week, the things we do every month, the things we do every year, the things we do every day. These rituals that we practice form us. And so we're looking at the things that Jesus did every day, every week, every year, the rituals that he practiced, how they formed him, and what we might, be lear- what we might learn from watching his practice. Today, we look at the practice of prayer. Let's read the passage. While Jesus was in one of the towns in Galilee, a man came along who was covered in leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand, and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet, the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This is the word of the Lord. So I've never actually uh, preached on Jesus' practices of prayer. Never preached on his practices of prayer. I've preached many, many sermons about Jesus' teaching on prayer. The instructions that Jesus gives to us about how we should pray, and there's lots of great texts about that, but I've never preached on what Jesus actually does and what he says and how he prays. So it's been an interesting enterprise, and it's been interesting because most of the times in in the Gospels, when we see Jesus practicing prayer, and this, this text is a good example, the, 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 the practice of praying that Jesus is doing is not the main event of the text. I mean, so the main event of the text here is obviously the miracle, the, the healing of the leper. But then you have that, that little verse, verse 16, which talks about how Jesus often withdraws to lonely places and prays. And most of the time you see Jesus practicing prayer in the Gospels, it's like that. There's something else at the center of the text, and this is a little aside. And so often I think we just read right past those things, Right? They don't register because they're not at the center. But when you take them all and put them all together and see how Jesus practices, an interesting picture comes into focus. And that's the picture I would like to try to share with you today. As I've studied this week, I think I see four things, four patterns in the way that Jesus practices prayer. I don't have time to talk about them all. I'll be here too long. So I'm going to to mention all four, but I'm only going to talk about number three in some depth because that's the one in our passage. So so four things to observe about Jesus' practice of prayer in Scripture. 
First, sometimes when you see Jesus pray, his prayer is a spontaneous prayer that just sort of bubbles up out of his deep emotion. Sometimes Jesus prays out of deep feeling. So for example, he sends his disciples out in a mission in Galilee. They come back and they say, Lord, even the demons submit to us. And Jesus sort of spontaneously says, I praise you, Father, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you have revealed them to little children. Yes, Lord, for this was your good, per this was your good pleasure. So it's a spontaneous prayer of joy that bubbles up from an occasion. In the same way, when he's on the cross, and this time it's sadness and confusion that he's feeling, that sadness and confusion bursts open in, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Again, a spontaneous prayer that comes out of his emotion. That's a good example of how we might consider praying. Our deep fears, our deep joys, our worries, our sadness. If we can turn those into prayer, if we can live those emotions, those deep emotions before God's face, that is a wonderful way to pray. And it's also a wonderful way for us to open up the deepest parts of our soul to our Father's face. We're transformed by it. So sometimes Jesus prays deeply out of spontaneous emotion. Second, if you look through Jesus practicing prayer throughout the Gospels, you'll notice that Jesus often prays before the major events of his life. Before something really important is going to happen, Jesus prays. Luke chapter 3, when he's baptized in the Jordan River and the Holy Spirit comes upon him, before that happens, Jesus prays. Luke chapter 6, he's going to call his 12 disciples. He's going to choose 12 men who will be his disciples. What does Jesus do the night before? All night, he prays. Luke chapter 9, before the transfiguration, that wonderful epiphany where he's clothed in white, what does Jesus do? He prays. And of course, before the day of his crucifixion, where is Jesus? He's in the garden of Gethsemane praying. Jesus prays before the major events of his life, which is, of course, what we do too. Before preach a sermon, before one of those scouts has a big test, before you're going through a surgery or some major event in your life, you pray. And it is comforting to see that this is exactly what Jesus does too. Jesus prays before the major events of his life. Third thing we see in Jesus' practice of prayer. Jesus prays routinely. He prays habitual prayers, prayers that he prays day after day at the same time, often using the same words. That's what we hear in verse 16 of our passage when it says that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So these are not prayers that come out of deep emotion. These are not prayers that precede some big event. These are prayers that probably have the same words that take place at the same time, and he does them day after day as a habit. In that respect, Jesus is a good Jew. 
Jews today pray routinely. If you're a devout Jew, you pray three times a day. The morning, just afternoon, and then again at night. And those prayer times have names. The morning is Sha'arit, Minka for the noon, and Ma'ariv for the evening prayer. Devout Jews pray at those three times today, and that's a practice that started way back in Jesus' time already. And I think it's entirely reasonable to think that when we hear that Jesus often went away to lonely places to pray, that he was practicing these prayer offices, these prayer times. Why is that a reasonable assumption? Well, because in every other respect, Jesus was pretty traditional when it came to Jewish practices, Jewish worship practices. We heard last week that it was Jesus' custom to go to synagogue every single week on the Sabbath. If you read through the Gospels, it's pretty clear that Jesus attends the major festivals. He goes to Passover. He goes to Tabernacles. And even in our passage, what happens right after he heals the leper? Right? He doesn't just say, well, you're clean. You can go off and have a good time. Go talk to your friends. No. He says, go show yourself to the priests. Obey the law of Moses. Do the traditional thing. Now, there's certainly times where Jesus rebels against Jewish tradition and scripture, but there are many, 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 many times where he practices the rituals. And I think it's very reasonable to assume that when he withdraws to a lonely place to pray, he's praying those Jewish prayers, morning, noon, and night. And if that's not enough to convince you that Jesus practiced this ritual, consider the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer, when he gives it to the disciples. It's a brand new prayer. It's a Christian prayer. But not all of it is original. Jesus takes the Lord's Prayer, makes the Lord's Prayer out of some Jewish prayers. He takes elements from a prayer called the Amidah and a Kaddish. And these are two prayers that would have been prayed every single day by devout Jews. They have the same words, and they would pray, especially the Amidah, they would pray at morning, noon, and night. So Jesus takes phrases and words from those prayers and condenses it and makes it a Christian prayer. So when the disciples heard the Lord's Prayer, they would have said, oh yeah, that, that sounds like the Amidah. That's a daily prayer. We're meant to pray that every single day. And of course, in the prayer of itself, what does it say? Give us today our daily bread. You're meant to pray that prayer every single day morning, noon, and night, a ritual prayer, prayed at the same time with the same words. Jesus prayed habitually, routinely. Now, our text does not simply tell us that Jesus followed a prayer routine. It also suggests why he did that. And the why he did that is contained in one little word right at the beginning of verse 16. And that word is but. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. That little word but suggests that Jesus' prayer practice was set off against something else, right? This was happening, but Jesus often went away to pray. What is this thing that is happening that Jesus' prayer practice is set against. 
think it's pretty clear that it's Jesus' popularity. It's his celebrity. Jesus is becoming something like a rock star. He's going viral. And it's not surprising because he's preaching these amazing sermons. He's healing all these people. And so people are flocking to him. And if you read through verses four, and, uh, read through chapters four and five, it's pretty clear that all these people are coming to him and they all want to hold on to them. They all want him to stay in their place. So in chapter four, he goes to preach at Nazareth. He preaches a great sermon and all the people speak well of him and they kind of want him to do his miracles in their hometown, to stay there. But Jesus, as you know, breaks away very painfully and will not stay in Nazareth. So then where does he go? He goes to Capernaum, another town in Galilee. In the morning, he preaches a great sermon, casts out a demon in the synagogue. In the afternoon, he heals all kinds of people. And by the evening, the people of Capernaum want to call him as their rabbi. Jesus, why don't you stay here? Become our rabbi. Serve the Capernaum Christian Reformed Church. We got a great parsonage. We'll renovate the kitchen for you. It's right on the, the, the coast. It's right overlooking the Sea of Galilee. We'll get your worship team. We'll put your name on billboards. We'll have the first mega synagogue in the entire area. We'll do satellites. It'll be great. You'll be a big thing, Jesus. But after a night of prayer, Jesus says, no, that's not why I'm here. And then it's happening again in our passage. Jesus heals the leper. He's worried about the publicity it's going to create. He leans over to the leper and he says, now go show yourself to the priest, but please, please, please don't tell anyone about this. It doesn't matter. Word gets out and the crowds press in. Jesus, you're amazing. Jesus, can I get a selfie? That little word, but, at the beginning of verse 16, tells us why Jesus prays morning, noon, and night every single day. He's pushing against the fame. He's pushing against the flattery. He's pushing against the celebrity. He's pushing against the allure of big-time success and of stability. Why was daily prayer important to Jesus? Because every day, morning, noon, and night, he would go before the face of his Father and remember who he was and why he was called. He rooted himself in the promises of God, the love of God, the mission of God. He would go off to the lonely place, away from the crowds, and he would pray, and he knew why he had come to this world to do this incredibly hard thing. And so rooted before the face of God in this routine prayer, that he was able to go back out into the crowds and face the flattery of the people, or the criticism of the Pharisees, or the threat of crucifixion, and stay true to his mission. That's why routine, habitual prayer is so important, that rooting. In her book, The Liturgy of the Ordinary, Tish Warren 
tells about a time in her life where she had a habit that was rooting her in something that was not quite what she wanted. And the habit was simply when um, she got up in the morning, her alarm would go off, and her alarm was her phone, like it is for so many of us. My phone is my alarm too. And what was the first thing she did? She'd grab her phone, pick it up, and start scrolling. She'd go through email, go through Facebook, Twitter, the news. She'd lie in bed for 10 minutes looking at that little rectangular screen. And she also realized it was the last thing she did before she went to bed at night. And she began to realize that this ritual, this daily ritual, was imprinting her, imprinting. She uses that as a metaphor from the animal world. If you rescue a tiny baby animal that's been orphaned and you take it home and you care for it till it grows, that animal will become imprinted. That animal will think that you are its mother or you are its father and that every good thing comes from a human being. It will lose its true sense of identity. In fact, um, uh, about 10 years ago at Oakdale Christian School, I wonder if anyone here was part of that, um, one of the classes rescued a little goose that they'd found in the park and they took care of it and they nurtured it. And what ended up happening? That, that goose would run up and down the hallways and follow streams of children. You know, you see gooses in a row following mama. This is how it would follow these kids up and down the hallway. It was imprinted. Tish Warren began to realize that she was imprinted. Looking at this screen made her want to go back to that screen all the time throughout the day to see the latest news, to see what people were doing, to make sure that she wasn't missing out on something. Her kids would be talking to her and she'd be saying, just a minute, mommy wants to finish this story. Throughout the day, she would bow her head before her glowing rectangular God. One Lent, realizing that this is a problem, she decided to have a new ritual. Her phone would ring, wake her up, and instead of grabbing the phone, she'd just wake up and she'd make her bed. And then she'd sit on the edge of her bed in quiet for five minutes. Prayerful silence before God. Knowing herself a child of God. Knowing herself deeply and eternally loved and called as a person to go out in the world and to show that love. Simply that. That practice went well beyond Lent because she found that it changed the way she interacted with her whole day. It began to imprint her so that she felt herself reaching for her phone less and much more prone to notice the way God was working throughout the day in the small people and the small places of her life. When you practice routine prayer, over and over again, same time, even sometimes the same words, it opens the whole day up to the presence of God in the small people and the small places. There's one last point, one last thing to say about Jesus in prayer. And this is less about how Jesus prayed than what he prayed for. Sometimes when you see Jesus practicing prayer, you don't exactly hear what he prayed. Like our passage, you don't hear specifically what he's praying for. But when you do, there is one thing that you find Jesus prays for more than anything else. Do you know, when you overhear Jesus' prayers, 
Do you know what Jesus prays for more than anything else? You. Prays for you. Over and over again, he's praying for his disciples. He's praying for us. Right before his crucifixion, he turns to Simon, and he says, Simon, Satan is asked to sift you as wheat, but Simon, I have prayed for you. Praying for us. Jesus' high priestly prayer, John 17, the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. What's that prayer about? It's 25 verses of Jesus praying for us, for his disciples who are around him now and the disciples who will yet be, that they will be one as we are one, that they will be strong, that they will be in the Lord. And as he hangs on the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He prays for the people who crucified him. And that is us. Over and over again, Jesus prays for us, for me, for you. And right now, sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, ruling over all creation, what is Jesus doing besides ruling creation? He's praying for us. Romans 8, 34, Jesus intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. So these scouts as they grow up and try to figure out who they are, Jesus is praying for them. And you parents, as you try to keep your own stuff together and, and try to reach out to your kids in wisdom and in patience and raise them well, Jesus is praying for you. And you caregiver, who's absolutely overwhelmed from the daily grind of caring, Jesus is praying for you. Morning, noon, and night. How strong do you think those prayers are? Strong enough to get you through your stuff? Strong enough to bring the wanderers home? Strong enough to make every last thing new? Yes. Yes. A thousand times yes. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you that to know that as we raise our hearts and our eyes and our words to you in prayer, um, we're just joining the conversation that you have already been praying to, uh, for us and speaking to us and that we enter in and know ourselves beloved and cared for. Lord, thank you for this tremendous gift that we can come before your face and share the deepest parts of ourselves. We pray that you give us the vision and strength to do this day by day. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.